Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore, and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you. To get my audiobook for free, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. That's audibletrial.com slash Darrow, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works and I continue to give them my time, talent, and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. Today, my friends, we are speaking with Anna Carter. Anna is the co-founder of Eden Invitation, which is a website that promotes original personhood beyond the LGBT program. Very, very interesting and needed conversation that we have here, Anna and I. Anna herself, as she writes on her blog, loves books, exploring the outdoors. She's like boys, Hanson, the Eucharist girls, and finally an integrated life. She has earned a theology and catechetics degree from Franciscan University at Steubenville, Ohio. She spent seven years in active ministry with teens and young adults, and she has led retreats across the United States of America with NET Ministries. She speaks locally throughout the Midwest. She's an aspiring novelist, a lover of road trips, and she's a horrible cook, according to her. But for Anna and I, we are talking about her experience with same-sex desires and what she did with that and how she is helping other people in that who have that same desire and also helping the universal church and how we can approach this topic with love, compassion, and truth. It is a wonderful conversation. It is frank. It is honest. Anna is fabulous. She is just, I, I really enjoyed her completely. I cannot wait for you to listen to this conversation. Here is Miss Anna Carter. To the seekers, the searchers, the wandering souls, the sexually questioning, the burden, the broken, the hidden heavy hearts. Look, we admit it. 
We don't know where you've been, what you've seen, what you've longed for, who you've loved, how you've suffered, what you dream, whoever you are. We don't know what makes you precisely, uniquely you. You're an unrepeatable person, but we know what it's like to feel lost, to wrestle with unchosen desires. We've wondered where we fit as the cultural tide swells and the Catholic Church's teaching often goes unarticulated, undertreated, and generally misunderstood. Resources can be scarce. Mentors can be few. But it doesn't have to be that way. There is vibrant life in the midst of the longing. You were wanted from the very beginning. Hey friends, and welcome back. Today we are speaking with Anna Carter. Anna, how you doing? I'm doing well, Leah. Thanks for having me on. You bet. I'm really excited to get into this conversation today, a topic that we need to discuss more. And you are doing amazing work in bringing out this topic of conversation beyond the LGBT plus paradigm to the forefront, especially with for Catholics, for Christians. I mean, you're, you're taking it from a lens that most people don't really want to approach it with. I mean, so you have started this Eden invitation. Let me just give people a quick, like, what's your elevator pitch? What's the Eden invitation? So Eden invitation is an evangelistic outreach to Catholics and Christians who would be culturally defined as LGBT. So they're somewhere on that attraction, same-sex attraction spectrum. And it's primarily an outreach to them. I think so often in our church, we we're getting better at a little bit better at talking about it, but I think so often it's an apologetics-based response, right? It says, why does the church teach what it teaches, right? How do we explain this to people? So we're getting a little bit better at saying what the no is when it comes to this area of sexuality. But I think it leaves a lot of people a little bit adrift and wondering, well, what is the yes? What is my yes to life? What does my Christian walk look like? And we really want to be there and meet them on that road and to say, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about a, a full, robust Christian anthropology. Let's talk about what it means to have healthy friendships. Let's talk about what it means to discern how you're called to be a gift of yourself. And that's really what we want to do is, is first and foremost, to, to be there for those people. I see that. Now, I, what I love about what you have here on the website, just right off the bat, I love it. You just have Eden Invitation. And on your website here, I'm looking at it right now. And it's EdenInvitation.com. Pretty easy to get to. We'll include all of that in the show notes. So don't worry, you can click there. But you have here, I guess I'm assuming is like mostly like your mission statement, but the original personhood beyond the LG, LGBT paradigm. Original personhood. Can you speak a little bit to that? Like what if someone looks at that and says original personhood, what does that mean? What would you say to them? <laughs> right, right. I know. <laughs> Who's the original person? You know, I think really we're both myself and my co-founder are really inspired by the theology of the body. You know, John Paul II's really important work, man and woman, he created them. And so we really want to look at, okay, (laughs) you know, it's one thing to experience these attractions, to acknowledge them. We shouldn't be ashamed of admitting if that's part of our experience. But we also really need to have a full context of what it means to be human. And how is it that these desires fit into the greater context of what it means to be human? Um, We're really inspired by 
not only, I mean, the work of John Paul II, but so many theologians over the years that would really look at, well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human with dignity? What does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God to experience that original solitude, right? John Paul II is big on those original words, that original solitude within ourselves. What does it mean to be embodied? What does it mean to be embodied as a man, embodied as a woman in the context of the, the great creation, you know, that we're a part of? What's the original sense, right? of what it means to, to be human, to be a person. Yeah. So now within that and what you're doing with the eating invitation, let's just back up really quick. And I'm assuming you got into this line of work and this type of evangelization because your own story and your own paths within this. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be a correct assumption. <laughs> I mean, I, so people often talk to me like, well, they'll ask me like, well, what do you talk about Leah? And I'm like, and if they've never heard or know my background, I'm like, well, I mostly talk about the mercy of Jesus Christ. And they pretty much figure out like, oh, you did some bad stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I've experienced mercy. I'm a sinner and I talk about it. So <laughs> I, anyways, we all have a story. We all, and we all have a certain passion in a particular area of the church. We're called to help a particular group of people. A group of maybe somebody who has different or, or, or excuse me, somebody has the same struggles. And so I just, I think it's amazing of the work that you're doing here. And yeah, so I, I don't mean to interrupt here, but go ahead. So I would love if you could share us Anna, your story here and kind of like how that, how all that worked out and how it brought you to Eden Invitation. Right. You know, so, so for me, I, I was raised Catholic in a very devout Catholic home went to all of the, the youth group B, youth conference C sorts of things when I was in high school. I was definitely a little zealot in a lot of ways. Like, um, like my, how? What did you do? Well, like my AIM screen name was a Catholic nerd. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> you know, and so I was definitely one of those people that presented a very self-righteous front. And it was out of, I mean, you know, I was a kid, you're a teenager, you're developing, you're, I did a lot of reading about the Catholic faith. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, as a kid, I had like wanted to, wanted to be a boy. I was not very comfortable in my femininity when I was, that didn't really change when I went into high school and um, in high school started to experience just a romantic draw to some of my female friends. And was very, very hesitant, terrified really, you know, to, to name that. I didn't tell anyone. I, except to a boy once to get out of a date. That, <laughs> that I will admit to that. Um, okay. but, you know, but, but that was going on as well. And so there was kind of this hidden part of me, this hidden part of my experience that I was incredibly ashamed of because it wasn't really discussed. You know, I think again, like growing up in Catholic settings in the late nineties, early two thousands and you know, if anything was talked about, it was, you know, homosexuality and it was, it was culture. It was, it was gay rights. It was something that happened outside of the church. No one was really talking about the experience of a teenager who, or, you know, a young person, a college student who loved Jesus, who yeah. heard about chastity, who wanted to follow Jesus, but had these desires she didn't know how to explain. When you, let me ask you a question about that. I mean, when you have these desires for other girls that you said started in high school or so, something around that? Yeah. Okay. How did that, how did that come about? Like when, how, how did you become aware 
yeah, I guess it's hard for me to like, to put it into a question, but like, how did you become aware that like, okay, wait, this isn't just more of like, this is, this goes beyond, I love my best friend and I love hanging out with her because she's so awesome versus the stronger feelings. Like how did, like, how did you reconcile or what did you think, I guess, when you started first feeling those feelings? Right. You know, and obviously everyone's story with this is different. And, you know, for me, I always had just like an active imagination as a kid. I was always a big reader. I would write my own stories. Now they call it fan fiction, but (laughs) what I, you know, right. Like into that. And yeah, I just had a pretty active imagination. And for me in particular, there was um, a group of friends that I, you know, that I had in high school and, you know, kids have drama. And one friend that I was close to started to kind of slip away and I would kind of daydream about like, oh, how, how are we going to reconcile, you know? And we would, would, I, would we talk it out? Like, how would I bring it up to her to reconcile? And eventually some of those, you know, reconciliation daydreams included kissing her. Right. And it was just this moment of like, whoa, what, what is my mind doing? Why is it going here? And that's kind of just, you know, and then you start to think about that and then you see your own person, you get kind of nervous and, and that's kind of where it started Sure. for me was just that, oh, there's a desire here that doesn't feel like my other friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. And you know what? I mean, in all seriousness, I really appreciate you talking about that and, and really spelling it out because when we keep things in the dark and we don't talk about them and we're not up front and we don't approach it forthrightly, there's, there's problems, you know, right. there can create a lot of undue anxiety, pressure, fear, shame, instead of, you know, talking about it like openly late, like you are. And even some of those extra details that I'm asking you about, because I know that that's a question that, a lot of women I know have that send me messages on this topic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where we really do need to bring it up in a way and talk about it and and do more than talking. I know, but, but it has to start somewhere and it can't be kept silent and we can't keep repressing like dialogue (laughs) on these issues. Okay. So so you're in high school, you go on and, and you do all the high school retreats and, uh, did you ever go to one of the Steubenville conferences? That, yep, yep, every year. Okay, you're one. You're one of those. Yep, I love it. I had no idea that Steubenville even existed, existed when I was in high school. So I just love it when I hear of a, you know young young adults who did that. I'm like, God, good for you, good for you. Okay, so tell me, so so you're at these Steubenvilles and things these these feelings and emotions are still going on. You're trying to reconcile them and kind of what happens next. Yeah. You know, so for me, I just feel really blessed. I, I really had a, a deep and abiding sense of, of faith that, you know, that, that the church was where I belonged, that I, you know, I loved Jesus. I, I wanted to follow him. I wanted to be his disciple. But what that also meant was I think I, I painted everything kind of like LGBT, same-sex attraction with a very broad brush. And I kept all of that like at arm's length and was like, well, that's not part of me. That's not it. Like I, I just need to like repress it. I need to get rid of it. I need to figure out where it comes from and I need to uproot it from my life. And it was kind of this very aggressive, passive aggressive, really kind of like repression and resistance to really even thinking about it critically. 
And I think what that then led to was a lot of unhealthy friendships, especially as I got into college, Mm. just because I didn't know what to do with my really strong desire for emotional intimacy as well. And so I ended up in in a series of really codependent friendships that were very touchy-feely and just, which I didn't think much of because, well, we're not really doing anything, you know? So this is fine. But really, I mean, it wasn't healthy. It it wasn't a healthy place to be relationally. And eventually, you know, you just, in those friendships, gradually the Lord is working on your heart (laughs) in all of that. And kind of came to a point of where some of those desires to like be more physical and um, were, um, you know, you just kind of got to that point where you're like, this is going to go places (laughs) if if it doesn't stop now, you With, know, like within this, that codependency in a friendships, I think that's, oh, I love the fact that you brought that up because we can, we can really get there. And in a variety of different relationships is codependency though. Can you recognize anything in the beginning of those friendships that were codependent, that had that codependent feel to it, that like those first warning signs, like, Hey, this friendship is not the way friendship supposed to be. I mean, Can you see any of those moments back in your past? Right. You know, I think, I don't know, C.S. Lewis has some great points, I think, about this in his book, The Four Loves, and just talks about, like, friendship as you're standing kind of like shoulder to shoulder facing the world, (laughs) facing that, like, that common mission, facing, you know, yeah, you're shoulder to shoulder facing the world. But I think once, you know, they talks about, like, lovers and the turning inward that happens and that's good and necessary in certain contexts, right? In, in marriage in particular, you, you need a turning inward because in that life-giving love, like a, a child is coming out of that and you need to be inward to, to care for this new life. And, and obviously there's an exclusive nature to any friendship, right? There's going to be certain things you know about them or they know about you. But I think once that in friendships, like, I don't know, not to be cliche, but I think once you start putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, right. <laughs> uh, emotionally. And that like exclusivity becomes to a point where this friendship is elevated in a way that your other friendships are not. Okay. You know, I think that's, you know, one of the, the key, one of the key elements to what makes it a bit more, more dependent. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, you're no, saying so many great <laughs> things. I'm like, Ooh, I have a question about that. Okay. Keep on going. We're listening. I love it. Yeah. You know? And so I think at that point, when I was just kind of having that reality check, I realized I needed to admit to myself what was really going on. And it was like, I think I'm in love with this person. I think I was kind of in love with that person. You know, like there was something tugging at me deeper than just let's be friends. And I think having the ability to admit that to myself was huge. And then to to talk to people about it. You know, I started confiding in other friends a big thing was like, okay, I need to make sure my emotional intimacy is not all directed in one area, right? And to be able to kind of, you know, widen some of my, my sharing, widen some of my vulnerability, my accountability in the sense of, you know, making sure that if there was something that was difficult, like there was at least a couple of friends who knew it was difficult and they would ask me about it. And ultimately, you know, honesty with God of prayer. And being able to say, okay, Lord, where, where are you in this? <laughs> you know, how can you be directing these friendships? I have these desires and, 
you know, what the heck am I supposed to do with them? And I need your help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, with your accountability, can you talk about that? Like at, at what point did you, I'm assuming at some point you brought up these inclinations and these attractions that you had to do girls to some of your friends. I mean, how did that, or I guess maybe I should ask you, did you? And then what about your parents too and your family? I mean, how did that work out? I mean, cause you seem like you were, I mean, you had a, you were raised in the church and you had access to the of the body and, and you had great experiences. I'm assuming probably at these great summer conferences and you know, your faith. Well, you, you seem to be able to reconcile, even though I'm not saying it was easy, but you logically knew, okay, these attractions will lead me down a path that I know is not spiritually healthy for me. And I, it seems like you love Jesus more than those attractions. So you were able to kind of at least know that in your head. I mean, how did you wrap, I guess, your heart around all of that? And then how did you help with your accountability with letting people know and, and allowing them to come into that part of your life and help you? Right. I think that was really an ever evolving process. I think a reality with a lot of people for whom this is their experience. It's so funny because I feel like in Catholic circles, we really stress like brotherhood and sisterhood, right? right. And like having your like that same, that same sex friendship, we stress it so highly. And I think it's so, it's so fascinating because that's also the area of such pain for people with this experience. And, you know, we have, you know, people who reach out to us that are, can I, you know, should I even join this all women's Bible study or am I going to fall in love with someone there? You know, there's, there's a real, I think, tension in the hearts of people. And so that was the case for me as well, you know, cause it's like, well, I want to share, but if I start sharing with this person, are they going to just be like the next person that I'm attracted to? And, right. you know, and so I think for me, my solution to that was making sure more than one person knew you know, you have to start with one, right? But making sure that a few different people knew and diversifying who knew. So it wasn't just my peers, but always having a mentor figure who knew was important to me, you know, because they have more wisdom and they've got, you know, they've got the benefit of age. And even if they can't directly relate to this experience, like it was just good. They just, life gives you wisdom. You know, you go through suffering and you can, you can speak into people's lives a bit more. You know, and so I would just kind of share, hey, this is what's going on. And it wasn't like it was, a, you know, something all the time, you know, but you'd go through maybe months where you didn't think about it at all. But then you'd meet someone and you'd have a few months where it was like, oh, shoot, this is <laughs> this is happening, you know. And so, you know, having those different people that, that you could share with and that you knew would be honest with you, but not in a way that was like overly harsh. You know, you knew that they would be supportive. And, you know, so, so I think that was important to find that accountability with people who could you could be honest with. But also, I think this is super key too, for those friendships, especially on the peer level, to be very mutual. You know, even now, I'm in my early 30s and most of my good friends are now married with kids. Our lives look very, very different. They look very different. Oh, yeah. My oh, daily yeah. struggles are very different from their daily struggles. But I think we can recognize just the common longings that we have, right? The common, you know, there's different ways that we feel lonely or there's different ways we feel unfulfilled or there's different ways we might feel purpose, burning purpose. But the fact that we feel longings, the fact that we feel burning purpose binds us in a solidarity. And so as a friend, I need to be able to be a listening ear to my friend with a different life experience. And I think that's a way to combat some of that codependency as well. 
is I don't just need you to help me, right? But this is a mutual thing. We are helping one another, even in our different walks of life. So I don't know if that totally answers your question. And eventually I did tell my family. It took a little while. I think for a lot of people with this experience, it takes a while. Just as with all of us, right? I mean, when we've got something that's weighing heavy on our hearts, family can sometimes be the toughest people to tell. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I I think the first time that a lot of my definitely extended family, even some of my brothers and sisters, like ever knew about my story and everything that I ever did is when they either heard a talk that I gave on stage (laughs) or they read my book. Even my mom, when she read my book, she's like, I didn't even know this. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of hard to bring that part up to you, mom. So I just wrote it in a book. She's like, you told the world. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but <laughs> it's just hard. <laughs> it is. Family's really, really hard sometimes because, well, I guess for a lot of different reasons, but you're right. And it's just hard. Mm-hmm. And I think too, though, family can really be a surprising gift too. You know, I mean, when I told my parents, like I said, very devout practice in Catholics, and they are some of my biggest cheerleaders with all of this, you know, with Eden Invitation and they're handing out my business cards, you know, when they <laughs> run into people and, you know, and that's just been such a gift and, and siblings as well. You know, I mean, different family, you know, they might have different ideological ideas about what to support and what not to support on a societal level. But I've been very, very blessed that my family is just supportive, you know, and saying, OK, if that's what you if that's what you want to do, like if this is what you experience, but you have decided like you're not going to date women like okay, I'm going to support you in that, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's just been a big gift. Merry Christmas, my friends. Okay. I know it's a, it's a little early to say Merry Christmas, but it's never too early to think about what you're going to get all of those beautiful people in your life for Christmas. What are you going to get them? It's going to be here before you know it. But this is something that we are doing right now to help you out with that. This episode is sponsored by Catholic Relief Services, Ethical Trade, and they have come out with an Ethical Trade Holiday Gift Guide. You can go to this one spot to get everything on your list for anybody on your list. It is, they're all unique. They're definitely going to be different than what everyone else is going to get them. It's a great, great idea. This is so wonderful. You can put Christmas back into your shopping with ethically produced gifts that really do uplift an entire world of people. And every single partner on this list has been vetted for fair wages, safer working conditions, and environmentally sustainable practices. And what's even better is that with every purchase, a donation goes back to Catholic Relief Services. So twice the impact. So fantastic. So make sure you go and check them out, ethicaltrade.crs.org. I will have the link in my podcast notes. Make sure you check them out ethicaltrade.crs.org. They have something for everybody. Things for the kitchen, for fashion, comfort, like candles and soaps and lotions. Things for the home, things for entertaining, coffee, chocolate, you name it. There's so much stuff. I will say, for the record, you better go check out the Lavender Honeysuckle Body Butter. It is so great. It makes you smell like a queen. I love that. And I also personally love the Alabaster Swirl Candle. I own both of those. Oh, so great. They're just wonderful. They're like the Maya treat yourself gifts that I, I love to give other people and myself once in a while. So go ahead, check it out. It is really a wonderful thing. 
This holiday season, you can get all of your stuff for all of the people in your life right there by visiting the Ethical Trade Holiday Gift Guide by Catholic Relief Services. Again, that is ethicaltrade.crs.org. So in terms of like you and I mean, and your, your, how you go through your life right now and working with the Eden Invitation and then I mean, how do you still keep up those same things that you were doing post-college and everything else in terms of accountability with your life and attraction towards girls? I mean, how does that work for you right now as a, you know, young adult? I mean, do you consider, I mean, like, do you use any labels for yourself? I think these are the questions that a lot of people have. And when they're trying to talk to somebody, it's like, okay, so, and I think we are probably way too hung up on labels in general, but do you, what do you think about that? How do you approach that yourself for you today? Yeah, there's a lot of questions in there. Okay. <laughs> so I will say, you know, I think that the way I, I move in the world today. So for me, a lot of labels I like don't really feel super comfortable with. You know, I, I do experience some attraction to men. It's a minority. I mean, if, if you want to play percents, it's, it's a lesser percent than, per- <laughs> you know, percentages of attraction to women. So in a certain sense, like the bisexual label, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, 50-50. It's, people don't really understand that label. I don't really know totally what that label means either besides both, you know, and I don't also feel at home than, you know, a label of gay or lesbian, you know, regardless of what you think about that kind of language, it, um, it doesn't really feel fair for me to even apply it to myself because it's like, well, that's not my experience either, you know, same-sex attracted sometimes sound kind of clinical, you know, I sometimes people, I've heard people say, Oh, like you have SSA, right? Like, it like you have like eczema or something. <laughs> and so, I mean, I will say to people that aren't, you know, I, I would say for people um, that maybe don't have as much faith or don't have as much background in the church, I will say bisexual just because it's easier than saying, well, I'm a person who experiences same sex attraction, but also there's sometimes attraction to guys too. You're like, wait, so you're bi, <laughs> you know? It's, yeah. It's, it just gets to be a little, yeah, exactly. It's just, it all depends on kind of like who we're talking to and you're knowing your audience exactly. within it. Right. And I, with Eden Invitation, we'll typically say the experience of same-sex desires is typically the language that we use as an organization, you know, and, and at this point, I don't know if you have any other things on the label stuff you want to talk about. Otherwise I can answer your second question. Yeah, go ahead. Keep on going and you, you're, you're doing great. This is good. Yeah. You know, and, and so at this point, I mean, because of the project, everyone know, like everyone knows, or at least, you know, I would assume everyone knows that's kind of how I move in the world now, assuming most people know that that's part of my experience, you know, and honestly, you know, some things change because, you know, you, you run, you know, you work on a project like this and it takes a lot of time and your schedule looks different, but you know, for the most part, you know, not a lot of things have significantly changed. You know, I still have my close friends that I, you know, really prioritize. And there's a mutual prioritization there with a number of people to just, yeah, because you just need that. (laughs) You know, you need relational intimacy. You know, I make sure that I also make time for guy friends and get to know like the husbands of my friends. I just think that complementarity in relationship is really important. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I've got got a spiritual director. I have a few like lay mentor figures that you know you connect with both personally and professionally. It just no matter who you are, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what your experiences are, no matter what your longings are, there's just certain relationships you just need in place in your life to be healthy. I have opportunities, you know, like some of my friends have kids. So it's like kind of like pseudo nieces and nephews. You know, you need those places to be able to to give love. And yeah, so that's all, you know, a part of my life right now. And I think should really be a part of everyone's lives to, yeah. <laughs> to whatever degree they're able. Amen. Let me ask you this. Like, like someone who is in high school or, or college, I, I mean, I guess just a kid that could be any age, but someone who's experiencing same-sex desires and the experience of that, what, and they don't know what to do and they don't have someone to go to, what would you tell them right now? Right. Yeah. You know, assuming that this person comes from some background of faith, I don't know the level, but let's just say like, they definitely believe in God (laughs) and they want what God wants. But however, this is going on. What do you, where do you go? Where do you start? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, I think first of all, it's great that they're, you know, being honest with themselves and and recognizing this experience. I would say, first of all, to pray for someone to talk to, pray for God to put on their heart the right person, because it is very possible that someone does exist right now in their life. They just might not think of them immediately. And so to pray for God to put that person in their life, first of all, because you really need that. You really need someone near you to be able to talk to, you know, but I'd say in the meantime, to just know that they're, you're not alone in this, you know, they could visit our website, you know, check out some of the, the testimonial videos that are on there. Currently, just kind of as a side note, we actually don't offer anything for minors in, the, in terms of direct relational ministry or programming. But, you know, but you can definitely, there are increasingly some more good resources for young people that you can find online, whether it's us, you know, I know Life Team has some, some good blogs directed towards young people. And just to pray, honestly, pray for, (laughs) pray for courage to persevere, pray for God to put the right people in your life to share with and to move to a place of sharing, you know, sooner rather than later. Cause like you said earlier, you really don't want to keep this in the dark. You really don't. And I think as well to, to be, you know, a a little hesitant to applying labels to yourself or to your sexuality. I think there's a great value in self-knowledge and in looking at, okay, when does this occur? Like, who are the types of people that I'm attracted to? What happens when I, when I feel this? How have I been responding? How do I want to be responding? I mean, those are kind of big questions for any teenager to ask themselves. I mean, I think adults, we don't ask ourselves those questions a lot. But to be able to to thoughtfully examine what's going on and to find people that'll help you thoughtfully examine your life. And what would you say to a mom listening right now, if her child comes to her and talks to her about that, how would you want, what do you think is best to how to say, to respond or what's like, or what should you not say or not how you should respond? I mean, like if you had to talk to the moms right now, I mean, what would you say to them? You know, I think developmentally in the teen years, you're trying to figure out who you are, you know, and you're, and you're trying on different things, right? You're trying on different labels. I don't know if anyone out there watched, you know, the movie Mean Girls that came out probably like 10 years ago, but there's this scene in the movie, she gets to like, the, the new girl gets to the cafeteria and one of her new friends has drawn her a map. 
And every table of the cafeteria has like, you know, band geeks, jocks, right? I mean, the wanting to find solidarity and community and to give yourself a home, that isn't, that's an old, old, old tendency in young people, right? In that age. And so I think to not be afraid, you know, when you're, if your child comes to you and says, I'm gay, I'm bi, you know, whatever it may be, to not immediately think it's the end of the world, right? And to not immediately think, oh my gosh, like this, I don't know. I think it's easy to blow those things out of out of proportion just because we're, we're not we're not fully sure. And we hear a, a narrative from culture that can be really strong. And we know that our kids are hearing it too. So I think the first thing would be to tell your child that you love them. You love them very, very much. This does not change anything about the way that you see them. They are your child and you love them. They really need to hear that from you. Yeah. Amen. Uh, yeah. And then to just to ask some questions, you know, or to ask, is it okay if we talk about this? To, to ask that, I would love to learn more about this. And I would say those first few conversations, you know, if they're hesitant, to, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you probably love Jesus and you know, are, are going to church and all of that. And they probably already think they know what you think. So I don't, you know, that first conversation does not need to be, let's break out the catechism and tell them what the church says, you know, those first couple conversations should really be listening to your child. Okay. Like, tell me more about this. Well, when did you start to feel this way? You know, how, some of the questions you were asking me, Leah, you know, what, you know, when did you start to feel this way? You know, what's that like for you? What can your dad and I do for you? You know, to really show them, Hey, like, I hear you. I love you. I want to understand. I want to understand this experience for you. So what would you do, Anna, if, how would you respond if someone is, is coming to you and says, but I want to continue living out this lifestyle. Like I want to pursue it all the way. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. where do we go from there? No. And I mean, what, cause what, what, what both, what we both know, what the catechism says, or, you know, just how about what Jesus says and, and the, and original personhood and all, and, and how we've been made. So where do we go from there and how do we love and still, you know, journey with or be with people who say, listen, I have these same sex desires, but I'm going for it <laughs> right, all the way out. So where does that leave us? Well, and I think too, I mean, I think first of all, like that point about questions and growing an understanding, I think is also really important because people's motivations for why are probably going to vary you know, based on their experiences. And I think then that can help you kind of tailor your response a little bit more. So it's like, okay, well, are you doing this because there's a particular person in your life right now that you want to pursue this with? Are you doing this because you don't see any witnesses to joyful celibacy and you're terrified what your life is going to look like? Mm. You know, those are two very different motivations. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be able to respond a little bit better if you know what's driving the desire to act out on, to act on this. And, um, you know, so I guess I, I would still stand by, I still think that, that that's, that's really valid. And, and I think it would also depend too developmentally, like, is this your child or is this your 40 year old brother, you know, who, I mean, he's an adult and he's making his choices, you know? Right. Um, and so I know that's not super helpful, but I think so often we want kind of that answer of like, well, what do I do in this? But the reality is people 
are people, you know, we are unique and unrepeatable. And I think one of the best things we can do is to get to know that person, to understand why as best we can, as much as they'll share with us, why they want to make the decisions that they're making. And from there, we can kind of discern, okay, well, in this situation with this person, what is the best way for me to love this person? Because it's not about solving a problem. It's not about fixing an issue. It's about how do I love this child of God who is right in front of me that God has placed in my life? Absolutely. No, I think that's actually really helpful, Anna, everything that you said. I mean, just of just a starting point for a lot of us to kind of be present and listen instead of just, I think that this topic and people in our lives who are active in a lifestyle with same-sex desires and experiences or who are not and are trying to live a life of, like you said, joyful celibacy. I love that phrase. But within that, it's still, we're still on shaky ground. I mean, every, I think, I think most people are very nervous about approaching this conversation with a person. We can talk about it and we can talk about what the church says. You can be really confident. You can say these things out loud and you can talk to other people who also believe in it. However, if you're talking to someone who who actually has these experiences and then you're trying to talk to them as a person, I think that we get so nervous of like, I don't want to offend them, but I also don't want to deny the truth. And Mm -hmm. how do I, you feel like you always have to have like this picket sign in front of you making sure that, that everybody knows what you believe because mm-hmm. you could be you know, construed into, into, into agreeing with this or over that. Does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. I heard a talk once that said, it's almost like we have like an egg timer or a kitchen timer in our conversations. And if the timer buzzes in 20 minutes and we haven't like reaffirmed that we believe what the church teaches, like we've failed in the conversation. <laughs> That's a great, great analogy. Absolutely. It, it does feel like that. And I think that we're just, we're still obviously really new in terms of like opening up and talking about this within the scope of the worldview of, of being a Christian, of what Christ has given us of how he has taught us and what he's given us to us and the beautiful church too, that we have. I love on your website, Eden Invitation and under the speaking section, you can have Anna come out and speak. It's wonderful, but you have on there very clearly your doctrinal approach. So just... I think it's really good that you've been so direct in everything that you have, even here in this conversation, but obviously on Eden Invitation too, where all of your information is is out of what you offer and how you connect with people. But that doctrinal approach that you have on there is really great. You have on there that Eden Invitation embraces a biblically-based sexual ethic celebrating the human person's creation by God as male or female and the original meaning of the sexual act as unitive, procreative, and intended for expression and an indissoluble, exclusive marriage. Big of a mouthful there, but quite great. I just think it's once again, you've done a great job of just kind of like putting out the basics there, but you still like the whole thing is still so comprehensive and compassionate towards this, this concerning issue. Yeah. Thank you. Um, You know, I think it is important to be clear because I think so often this issue gets very partisan. I mean, that's just society today, right? I mean, that's, well, let's talk about that too. Let's, I mean, cause that's, I mean, that, before we started our podcast, we we, had, we we both were discussing kind of where we wanted to take the conversation and where it could go. And part of this, and we really do need to, it's just to a certain degree, is talk about what's really going on within this realm, in culture, and how it affects us, how it affects the church, all these different things that are coming at it. So, I mean, yeah, let's just 
let's just bring it all up. I mean, just for piece by piece. And once again, we know it's not like this is not an exhaustive list of everything going on in culture within this issue. But I think we do need to kind of approach it because culture is quite loud right now. And they're dishing out a different narrative than what Christ is. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and I think what's so challenging is it's tough to, I'm just having a conversation about this. You know, I think we're also living in an era where if you disagree with me, like whether you're red or you're blue, you know, if you disagree with me, then you don't love me or or we can't be in dialogue. And I don't think every American is like that. You know, I I think that's just the the tone and tenor that maybe, you know, sells and (laughs) boosts the algorithm, you know, and, and gets the airtime. But, you know, I think it's tough to be in a space where we say, okay, no, it's, it's very possible for me to accept another human being, to love another human being, but to have a, a different idea of human flourishing or to have a different like ideological approach to what it means to be human or, or a different worldview. But I can still, I can still talk with you. I can still try to find some common ground. I don't need to see you as the enemy just because we disagree about certain things. And so I think that's just a very, it's just a difficult culture to be in right now. And you know, especially as Catholics, when we feel this allegiance to the church and, and her teachings, like we said earlier, like it, it's tough to say like, well, how much can I wade into conversation or dialogue with someone with a different view? But I think we need to, you know, I, I really think we need to, if, if we have any hope of addressing this in our society and in our churches. Yeah. Okay. So, so we talked about possibly bringing this topic up and we're, we're going to go ahead and go, go for it. And I'd love to know how you see this fitting, this of what you've talked about with, you know, just going beyond the LGBT paradigm. But how does that, do you see any connection with any of this and in the current church scandal that's going on right now? Yeah, you know, and I think this, uh, it's just this tragedy just like exacerbates some of that divide, right? Kind of fans some of those flames. And it's really easy, I think, to, for, not for everyone, but for some avenues, perhaps, to scapegoat a bit. Bishop Barron just had a, a blog um, a few weeks ago, actually, about avoiding scapegoating <laughs> in some of these. You know, but I think it's easy. We want to find an answer, right? We want to find what's the common thread here? What, what was going on? And, you know, I think you, you see some corners kind of blaming same-sex attraction, right? Or, I mean, they'll say blaming homosexuality, but what's homosexuality? Homosexuality is same-sex attraction, right? And it's easy maybe to do that based on the nature of some of these crimes, you know, but I think in some ways it's like, well, that's kind of an oversimplification, right? I mean, is the issue attraction or is the issue unchastity, you know? Is the issue manipulation? Is the issue just mental stuff that really should have been caught earlier? And I think when we have a, a culture that's kind of pegging or, or when there's people in the church who might want to peg this issue on peg this, these scandals on one particular thing and homosexuality in particular, you know, you have some collateral damage. You have young people. I mean, I remember growing up, um, I was a teenager when everything broke with Boston and I would not wish this experience on anyone being a teenager feeling like I have these desires that are, would be classified as homosexual. Like, are people, if I tell anyone, are they going to think I'm a pedophile? Mm. Can you imagine being a teenager, just being a teen and fearing, being so terrified 
because of the language that was happening in the church, feeling so terrified that if I speak a word of this to anyone, people are, are going to think I'm a pedophile. Like, so where, I mean, I, I definitely, yeah. And I think part of, part of our problem, and this is an, it's, it's a natural response. I'm not saying, you know, however, we need to temper it as what Bishop Barron has, has said over and over again of not scapegoating, but it's not like, I think it's foolish to believe that we're looking for one answer. Right. The church scandal is because of fill in the blank and then you're going to get an A on that test. No, like it's not just one thing. And so if you blame it, I do. I mean, because we obviously in what we are aware of now what's going on within the church scandal back in 2002 and then everything that's kind of come, come up again in recent news here. I mean, we can see that obviously homosexuality is this part of it, but it's not all of it. As you mentioned, you mentioned like five or six elements that have to be looked into. But I think to say that it's not a part of it is also not, is, is not going to help us. Although it's not necessarily all that there's just, I think it goes back to what Bishop Aaron was trying to do. Like you can't find this one answer to all of the church scandal. I mean, and when you really look at it, we're not battling a certain group of people. We are battling evil. We're battling principalities and powers that go beyond us. We are battling the devil who wants to, he wants to pit us against each other. He wants to pit everyone against each other and then everybody destroy one another. And I think that we need to take time to put away some of the labels enough to see that there's a bigger issue and there are bigger problems at stake within the church. That- and we really, I think, need an, an interconnected and, and a holistic response to this, right? Because I think what happens is, again, when you single out one issue over another, then you get divided, like you're saying, like you get divided, right? You get yeah. divided into all these different camps of like, well, this was the issue and this was the issue and this was the issue. And this was, maybe there were all the issues, right? And, you know, can we as church recognize that, gosh, there was, there's just some, some structural sin that has been built in. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Going on here. And um, the silence, I mean, that should be brought up. I, I mean, I know that you and I both have kind of mentioned a few different things. and It's definitely not an exhaustive list. It's not like the church is coming to us to make a list for this. But these, <laughs> these are the things that I know that you see that I have seen. And you have to remember, like, just the silence. And I think in particular to this conversation that what we've been talking about, you have mentioned over and over about whatever you're feeling, the attractions that you're feeling, you know, those need to be talked about. You need to bring them out of the dark. You need to bring them out of that place and bring them to light and talk to them to people who love you and want the best for you and are going to help you hold you accountable and also speak truth and love into your life, compassion and understanding and mercy. And so within the church scandal as well. I mean, that's a major issue, you know, (laughs) that all of us can take part of in a variety of different ways in our own personal life. When we stuff stuff, when we stuff our stuff, when, when it's so dark and we don't talk about it and we don't bring it to light and we don't speak out when we need to speak out, bad things happen on a variety, on a variety of levels, obviously. I think in so many ways that darkness, then it kills hope, you know, it really kills hope. And and I think we, that's an important thing to remember in all of this, right? And, you know, that my teenage self in the 2000s, you know, needed to hear like, no, like there's hope. There's 
anyone with the grace of God is capable of chastity, you know, and like that is a beautiful gift. And there's, there's hope, there's hope for chaste integration, you know, there's hope. We have good priests, you know, we have good priests and we have good bishops who find all of this deplorable. We need to have hope that, you know, that, that reformation and uh, bringing things to light is possible. And that no matter what is going on, like ultimately it's Christ, right? It's Christ who is the church. You look at, I mean, if any student of church history can see that the church has been quite a mess a number of times throughout human history in really deplorable ways, but the church sails on, you know, and you know, the, the boat of Peter, as they say, right. It sails on. And because ultimately it's, it's Christ that we, that our hope is in. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And that definitely needs to be its own podcast completely, especially involving the current issues, what's going on right now within the church and the church scandal is, you know, scripture tells us don't put your trust in men. I mean, our faith is in Christ Jesus and his church and Holy Eucharist. I mean, that is it. And so if we put all, all of our eggs in the basket of just the priest or the bishops, well, yeah, that, I mean, that ain't going to work. That's not there. That's not what we were supposed to be doing. I mean, and, and, you, and like, like you said, we, we see this time and time again. We've seen this in a lot of groups, a lot of movements where a priest will lead a movement in the church. And then you find out that the priest was having affairs and with women and then had all these kids. And you're like, and then the whole movement falls apart and you see people leaving the church and you're like, where was your intention to begin with? Mm. We have to talk about that. We have to be like, listen, it's not in that particular priest. Um, and I, I remember this happening years ago with Father Karapi. Mm. I mean, Father oh, yeah. Karapi was this massive, big evangelist. I, I mean, I, there's some of you who probably definitely know what I'm talking about. And other ones are too young to know. But he, I mean, he drew crowds like crazy and was talking about mercy. And then you come to find out that the story quickly unraveled. And, and there was he was leading a double life. And it was just terribly tragic and horrible. And there were people who just didn't want to believe it when it was valid. You know, it, they, they did find out all these things were true, unfortunately, about him living, leading a double life. It wasn't just allegations, but uh, all of that happened. And then there were people who wanted to like leave the church. And we have to know, like you said, it's Christ who we believe in. It's he who we have our faith in. And so it goes beyond even the despicable, deplorable actions of those. And it's so hard to say it when it's the clergy and it's the shepherds who should be leading us to Christ who have committed this spiritual adultery and they failed us. And so that's true, (laughs) but it's also true that Christ will not. Christ will not fail us. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I've kind of gone on a soapbox. Sorry about that, Anna. But I mean, (laughs) (laughs) but I think that it's, you know, in in terms of like, our conversation of what we've been talking about and what the Eden invitation offers people. And then and also like what's going on with our church scandal because of how it correlates there. As you mentioned, what's so important that we don't lose is hope. Like you said, hope in, in Christ, hope in others who will continue to not just put some blanket statement over everything. And then ultimately hope will lead to mercy, mercy of Christ that you are never too far gone, that nothing you've done can ever can be go unforgiven. God forgives all if you ask. And that is so important as well. Absolutely. We have a few minutes left. I'd love for you, if you have time to give our listeners a challenge, if you don't mind. Yes. You know what? I think this might come as no surprise considering um, all that we've you know talked about, but I think 
a great challenge, you know, for all of us. I don't know if you've heard of Jean Vanier, but he's a spiritual writer and founder of a, uh, a movement within the church. I highly recommend looking him up, but he has this beautiful, beautiful bit about how, like in all of us, in all of us, there is a deep wound of longing, right? The Catechism talks about this in CCC 27, about our desire for God, right? The desire for God is written on every human heart. And that longing and loneliness, I think it, it touches all of us in some way, right? Like none of us, none of us are in Eden right now, right? I think we all long for that place of innocence. And so I think just, you know, wherever you're at right now, as you're listening to this, whatever your relationship is to the question of, you know, sexuality and gender, are you in touch with your longing? You know, are you in touch with your longing? And what are you doing with it? How are you bringing your longing to Christ? I think it's in that space if we can all be able to name that in ourselves, right? What a beautiful place of solidarity, right? Despite differences of experience. But uh, yeah, I I think it'd be a great meeting place with God and with others. Um, So are you in touch with your longing and how are you bringing it before God? I love it. Very, very good. And okay. And are you familiar with the litany of longing? No. Oh, I'm going to share that with you. All right. So I will make sure I include that prayer in the podcast notes on my website at leadero.com. You can go and you can catch, obviously, this podcast there and listen to it there. And then in those notes on my website, I will include the prayer, the litany of longing. And I think it's going to go perfect with Anna's challenge for you today. All right. And thank you so much for being with us and talking openly and joyfully about this sometimes difficult topic, but you do it so great. And I love everything that you're doing with Eden Invitation. And if you want to support Eden Invitation, you can. And I hope that you do. If this is a passion on your heart, if this is something that you want to help, you can do that. All you got to do is go to their website, EdenInvitation.com. On their little menu area, it says how you can help. You go one little piece down and click donate. And on their donate page, you have this Patreon page and you can become a Patreon member to help with the Eden invitation. You can give today right there. Super easy to do. Very exciting stuff going on there for Eden invitation. And you can join and be a part of it if you'd like. Once again, we'll include that special link to become a Patreon member in the podcast notes as well. So you can easily quick click and donate and give to them today. And you've been amazing. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for truly doing something beautiful for God and doing it so joyfully. Thanks, Leah. Thank you for having me on today. It was a great joy talking with you. (laughs) Absolutely. And remember, my friends, whatever you do today, whatever you do, whoever you meet, whatever's got whatever you got going on, oh my gosh, you probably have a million things still to do. I bet you do. I bet your to-do list is way long. Remember, God has a to-do list for you as well. And that's just to let him love you. So remember, whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you and God bless. And we'll talk to you later.